the Lord. It is uh, always such a privilege to be here. Uh, I remember a year ago being in this Bible conference and we were running about 40. And so it's good to see all that God is doing. Amen. You Suns fans, calm down. Everything will be okay. I, I don't know what's happening. I tell you what, when I arrived here uh, this evening, uh, one of the, the parking lot ushers, a, a brother here from the Prescott Church, he had his son's hat on, and he came up to me and he said, Pastor Ruby, do you just remember the first one? It's all we want is the first one. I mean, it just melted my heart right there. I shook his hand and I said, okay, I understand. And so I'm going to uh, just quickly just tell you Suns fans the secret to winning this championship, if you'll listen. Forgive Robert Horry and all will be well. Okay, right there. I told that to Louis Polino. He said no. And so... Um, Anyway, Daniel 1, we'll go there in the Word of God, Daniel chapter 1, and we'll go there in the Word of God in just a moment. Every summer for, since 1994, save last year, we have a boot camp there in San Antonio, and uh, very, very powerful. We had over 360 teenagers there this year, and you know, I, I get a lot of questions about boot camp. Uh, some people, uh, they, they think it's punitive, that uh, this is, uh, that's it, boy, you're going to boot camp. And, uh, you know, that this is where you just act out punishment and, and everything like that. That's not true. Uh, in fact, it's actually a leadership conference for teenagers. And uh, out of that, our uh, boot camp, I think I've counted 21 missionaries so far, the boots. And uh, not to mention, I think 15 DIs that became missionaries. And... And, and so I, I'm saying that because I want to preach a sermon that's really targeted to young people here tonight. And so, well, what's young? Well, I'm 58, so 59 is young. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm going to give a number. You always hesitate, but I want to speak to those that are 33 years and under. And I'm really speaking to all, all of you, but, but I really want, I want you to listen up. You're a, a, a teenager. Maybe you came along, you know, and you're not really into this there. Uh, but there's something I, I want you to consider with me this evening because somebody better pay attention to teenagers. And I want you to think with me, and, and I'm going to kind of tell the story using a few pictures. And so picture number one, if you'll put that up uh, for us uh, this uh, evening. And so uh, there's a teenager. Her name is Greta Thunberg. And so Greta Thunberg, uh, if you read about her, you know that this uh, little girl really actually has some emotional issues. Uh, but uh, she has, uh, like people like her, they fixate on one thing and she happens to fixate on climate change. And uh, what has happened is that uh, climate uh, change uh, activists, uh, some of the richest, most powerful people in the world have captured this teenager. She speaks at Davos to the elite of the world. She was Time Magazine's Person of the Year. They prop her up, um, and she goes on these tirades that are not science-based at all. Uh, and up, oh, the picture's gone. And so there, but uh, but uh, you look at her, and, and they do this for a reason, and that is they understand uh, that if they're going to advance their movement, they're going to have to capture teenagers. And they've taken Greta, and Time Magazine said. Uh, because of here, there are thousands, thousands of other Gretas. Okay, you can put that down. Let's put up the second picture. I want to show you another group of young people. Now, we're going back about, oh, about 140 years or so. 
I want to tell you about these young men. It kind of gives you an idea of how the world has changed. It was back in 1885 that seven young men that were all child of the, children of the elite, men that were uh, 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 destined to uh, lead in uh, military, lead in industry, lead in the area of athletics, um, uh, what happened was uh, that uh, God began to bring a revival to these young men. Um, the oldest one was 25. Um, the youngest one was 23 years old. Uh, these young men had an incredible future, but what became famous, and they became known as the Cambridge Seven, because God moved on these young men that they were going to leave school. And they were going to dedicate themselves to become missionaries in China. This is in 1885. They were inspired by the stories of Breakthrough by Hudson Taylor. Dale Moody came into England and he began to preach uh, and it was through his preaching and Hudson Taylor's example that these young men that were destined to have everything of that Great Britain uh, in its pinnacle had to offer. And they said, we're leaving England. Listen, back in 1885, you go to China, you might as well have gone to Mars. One of them was named Charles Studd. We know him as C.T. Studd. He was the number one amateur athlete in Britain. If you know anything about sports, it would be like Trevor Lawrence saying, I'm not going to go in the NFL draft to become a missionary. When they did that, I want to tell you that uh, uh, it caused incredible uh, 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 disruption in England. On, on one hand, Christians and many people saluted them. These young men that were destined to do all these things in England are walking away from a life of wealth and, and material in, and political influence uh, to disappear uh, into the nations. Uh, on the other hand, other people said that it was foolish and impetuous and impulsive and they were young and they didn't know better. You know what's so incredible about these young men is that every one of them stayed on the mission field for over 30 years. A couple of them died on the mission field. And here's a quote that kind of inspired this sermon from one of the books. It says, together, they went to Hudson Taylor in London and offered themselves for China. I want to preach a sermon tonight called The Offering. Daniel chapter 1. We'll read. I'm going to, for time, jump through this passage uh, this evening, if you'll uh, permit me. It says in verse 3, then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a, 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 a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. And now we go to verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And verse 15 says, At the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And verse 17 says, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Father, help us tonight. Capture another generation for our fellowship. Oh, God, they're already here. 
and lay hold of their hearts that they will come and offer themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to begin and look at the treasure that's here in our text. So we have a very powerful picture in this uh, never-ending reality of youth. Our story takes place about 2,500 years, 2,600 years ago, and it happens in the backdrop of war and devastation. Jerusalem has been overrun by Babylon, and we are reading some of the instructions uh, that were given uh, to the invaders in verse 3, bring some of the children of Israel some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. Now let's think about that. Because most often when we know the story of Nebuchadnezzar sending his army into Jerusalem, we are familiar with the fact that they sacked the temple, that they took uh, uh, back uh, to Babylon, you know, the, the artifacts and the vessels uh, of the temple, and that they took the treasury uh, that Hezekiah had foolishly shown the emissaries of Babylon a couple of hundred years before, uh, and we know that they went after uh, the treasure uh, of Jerusalem, uh, but it is interesting to me tonight uh, that when the king of Babylon thought about the treasure of Jerusalem, it wasn't just silver and gold, uh, it was young men. That in his mind, that was a treasure. That there were young men in that city that had incredible potential. That he saw it as a mine, if you will. That he said, there, I want you to look around because, because uh, there are men there. There are young men. There's something on these young men that many people don't even know exists. Uh, but this man had enough insight and understanding uh, that a successful society, uh, any success, has young men with incredible potential. I want to tell you tonight, the world that we live in, like the kingdom of Babylon, is still looking for the young. We could talk about sports tonight, uh, that uh, you look at the uh, major universities, the NCAA, which is the total scam of an organization, and how they're actively already trolling uh, uh, junior high schools, uh, 12, 13-year-olds. I can guarantee you right now uh, that every talented young basketball player, uh, every young football player, by the time they're 15 years old, they know who they are. Uh, they are an aggressive search like the king of Babylon. I want you to look and I want you to find the young talent. If it's not sports, it's the entertainment industry. I don't know why any responsible mom and dad's trying to push their kids uh, into the entertainment industry. I don't know why you'd want to be a stage mother uh, and try to get your daughter to become a model. All you have, you know, it's a crazy. We live in a society where if you listen to the news, uh, they'll tell the story uh, about some former childhood star. They're 40 years old and they're a drug addict or they've overdosed. Uh, and then the next story is about this 13-year-old little girl that's been discovered. Uh, I want to tell you, the world wants to take your young man, your young woman, and ruin them. <laughs> Greatest natural resource you and I have in our fellowship are these young people. They are the hidden treasure. Most of you know the story where Joash is just a boy and they're slaughtering all of his brothers 
His grandmother is a witch. And they take Joash, and the Bible says that he is hidden in the temple. He is there, he is a child. Because he is a child, he is overlooked. But there, hidden inside of the house of God, was a future leader. There, hidden inside the house of God, was destiny. But he was young, he was a child born in that house, uh, and for some reason, because of that, he was overlooked. Is it possible tonight that some of our greatest leaders are being overlooked because they're right here in the house of God? Is it possible tonight if the Lord Jesus were to tarry another 25 years that sitting here tonight is a 16-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 21-year-old or a 30-year-old that one day will be standing behind this pulpit preaching the gospel? Do we still believe tonight that there's a treasure in youth because the king of Babylon believes it? See, I never, Nebuchadnezzar understood something that many people don't grasp. He saw the children of Jerusalem for what they really were, and he understood what they could become. And I want you to listen to me, and let me say it to you again, that the king of Babylon is paying attention to your teenagers if you're not. If your teenagers tonight are a menace to you, they are a disruption. If they are a problem to you, listen to me. The king of Babylon is giving instructions. Go and find them and bring them to me. I'll use them. You better pay attention to your teenagers. Now, we do a boot camp. They may not be your thing, but do something. You know that every year now over 500 applications come in trying to get into our camp. You better pay attention to your teenagers. You know, it's very interesting here. It, it seems to me, and I may be uh, wrong here, and, uh, but, but it appears to me that Daniel would have been born during the reign of Josiah, which was a boy king that became perhaps the greatest king of, of Judah. But by the time he came into his teen years, wicked kings had uh, come to power, culminating in, of course, the sacking of Jerusalem, and its captivity. You know, when you read in 2 Kings, and you read in 2 Chronicles, the demise of Jerusalem, you have to stop and remember what you're reading about Daniel and those Shadrach, Meshach, Abed, those guys already there. They're there. They're in the middle of that. They're a part of that. They're not the leaders. They're young men. They're boys or they're teenagers. And while this terrible thing is happening and these kings are compromising and disobedient and falling in the judgment and all these terrible things are happening, there are Daniel and there are these three young men. And, you know, if we're not careful, we, we, we would say, who would have guessed that, that we see all these problems, but underneath all of that, there's this treasure. I got saved when I was 16 years old. I was not raised in a Christian home. I got radically converted. My brother Ray uh, got saved first, and uh, we all quickly followed after uh, a few months later. The Tucson church, when I got saved, was five years old at the time, probably running about 250 people. There were only a handful of children in the church because all the families were young and most of us were single. Now, I'll never forget, God worked in me, and I remember when I got to church, I got saved. One of the first things that I realized is there were three Young men that went to high school with me that went to the door. I never knew they were saved. I never heard about you. And I saw them like, what? 
you know, they're like, well, we're glad you're here. Well, where have you been all my life? They never witnessed to me. I wouldn't even have known they were Christian. And there they were at the church. Those young men, by the way, never made it. Let me tell you a little story. So I get saved. I'm a convert. I'm born again, uh, and God's working in my life. I'm saved about three or four weeks, and I'll never forget one service. I'm there, you know, and I have my hands lifted. God has broken through. And I remember I, as I was, had my hands lifted and singing, I opened my eyes, and there was a group of teenagers, and you could call them church kids, but the reality was they were all probably 12 or 11 when their parents got saved. They were just been in the church for a few years. And I remember I'm worshiping, and they're in the row in front of me, and they turn around and were laughing at me. I remember, I, you know, I'm saved, but I'm not that saved, you know. And, uh, and so uh, I remember telling somebody that knew them, you know, you need to tell them to quit messing around and all that. And so that Saturday, we were having a big park concert there in Tucson, the big outreach that we would do every summer. And I was there, and one of these guys, young man my age, came up to me, you know, and he confronted me because, uh, you talking about me, man? And so I'm, I, I am talking about you, you know. You need to get saved, you need to repent. And, and the next thing you know, the ushers had to grab us and separate us, you know. <laughs> you know, there can be some serious contention in the church between church kids and converts. Yolanda, my wife, was 13 years old when her sister got saved. And she came along, she lived 30 miles away, and she would come from time to time, a little 13-year-old girl, catching a ride from nice people who are willing to drive down there and bring them to church and work in their lives. You know, Yolanda was telling me that at boot camp, she loves to find 13-year-old little girls in boot camp and says, I was a 13-year-old little girl in the church. Your life can matter. I want you to listen to me tonight, church. You know what's going to be really dangerous is you start making the church kids in your church, even the ones that are trying, that somehow they're inauthentic. Or because they didn't come from outside, they're illegitimate. I go, okay, we're glad you're saved and all that stuff, uh, but uh, let the guy come covered in tattoos and teardrops, uh, and uh, everybody get a picture for the trumpet. We don't ever take a picture of the kid who grew up in service. No, no, our story is, look at this guy right here. I said we overlook destiny right inside the house of God. Kids see this stuff. They start thinking that, you know what, I have to have a testimony. I have to leave for a little while. You know, you get that guy, you know, that grew up in church, you know, and then he backslid, went major in the sin uh, and, uh, you know, messed up his life and he comes back broken, repentant, thank God, and restored. But sometimes these young men come back uh, and they almost look at their, their friends who grew up with contempt uh, because you're still, you know, I, I know what it's really like, man. You know, I, I backslid, you know, I, I know what it is. You know, and I, I, I have more, I'm more authentic than you are because you never left. I remember we had this one convict coming to church. We've had quite a few over the years. This is back years ago. This guy came from prison and, uh, and he used to tell me, I can't hear God from, I can't hear from you, bro, because you've never been in prison, bro. And you've never been there. I can't, I'm like, you know what? Thank God I've never been in prison, man. I'm not making any apologies for that. 
That's why I got saved when I was 16, so I don't have to go to prison. Today, we treat guys coming out of prison like they've left Vietnam, you know, they're heroes. And what begins to happen is you get this attitude that these guys, you know, they're, they're just not legitimate. Ah, oh, he's a church kid. What would he know? How could that guy get up and preach? He's never been where I've been. You know what, last time I checked, we have a savior who can sympathize with our infirmities, and he's the one that's been where you've been. I know they say, Pastor Ruby, they never sniffed glue. No, they never sniffed glue, but I bet you they ate some when they were in kindergarten. Let's never forget that Nikki Cruz and Sonny Argonzoni and Larry Reed were reached by David Wilkerson. Let me tell you about David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was a PK. He was not only a PK, he was a PGK, a preacher's grandkid. David Wilkerson was filled with the Holy Ghost at the age of eight and started preaching at 14. And at the age of 27 years old, God spoke to him to go into the heart of New York City and reach gang members. And God powerfully used that church kid to reach those men. And the danger is that we look, they're looking right past that. We're dismissing them because they're sitting here and they're 14 years old or they're 20 years old. David was dismissed by his father and his brothers. I've always been intrigued by the fact that Paul's nephew saved his life. A young man. I want to talk to you then about spending our inheritance. Because the king wanted the youth of Jerusalem to build Babylon. This was a recruiter. He wanted to take the children of the house of God and have them build Babylon. What a brazen affront. These boys who had grown up with the law and the prophets in the temple had a revelation of God. And he says, I want you to get these young men and I want you to capture them and I want you to use them to use their productive years building my kingdom. Listen to me tonight, young man. The Bible says they were good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. You know what that means? It means that when you are in the house of God, there is a grace on you that you don't even realize you have. There is an advantage. There is an advantage. I'm speaking right now to young people that are in this place that feel like somehow being a church kid or a PK has been a disadvantage. You're almost embarrassed to, to say, uh, that's, not, that's my father. You're almost embarrassed to tell people your testimony because it's not flashy and it's not, a, you know, it's not rated R. You have an advantage. You probably heard this, you know, Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, Peyton Manning, Ken Griffey Jr., I could go on and on. These are the people that at the, are the highest. They are the very best of their chosen profession. And they were all children of fathers who played in the, those leagues. In other words, these young men grew up in the locker room. They grew up in a culture. That didn't hurt them. That helped them. 
that gave them an advantage. And yet we take that, and yet why is it tonight that we don't think uh, that a young man can grow up in the house of God or maybe your father is a pastor of a church and that somehow that is not going to give you an advantage? Good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge. Having been raised in Jerusalem, had put a quality on them that somehow the king of Babylon understood. A tangible blessing, we could call it tonight, an inheritance. I've spoken about John D. Rockefeller. Many of you have read about him, the richest man who ever lived and the biggest giver who ever lived. Was raised by a mother saved in the Great Awakening, had his own powerful conversion at the age of 13. I was reading about Henry Luce. I was fascinated by this guy. Henry Luce is the founder of Time Magazine. And Henry Luce is a child of Chinese missionaries. He was raised in China, had a deep abiding love for China when he came back to America. You know what they had a name for missionary kids back then? They called them Mish Kids. And uh, they were kind of frowned upon. And, and when he came back, but this man eventually became the founder of Time Magazine. And much of the 20th century, Time Magazine had a powerful, powerful influence. And while Henry Luce was alive, it, he actually shaped American policy uh, uh, regarding China. He had that much influence, um, and uh, he had a powerful impact. And you can make the case that Taiwan exists today uh, because the influence of Henry Luce, uh, a missionary kid raised in China, and fell in love with that and has done everything he could to help the Chinese people. A missionary kid. From the Wright brothers to Denzel Washington, a dimension of grace. I want you to listen to me tonight, young man, young woman. God gave you this grace to serve his purposes. It was quoted this week, Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given from him, much will be required. The benefit of being brought into the house of God where you're young is to fulfill his plan. You know, our text is mostly known because Daniel recognized this, and the Bible says he would not defile himself. That this young man somehow figured this out and realized that if the king of Babylon wants me so bad, there must be a reason for it. He decided, you know what, uh, I'm, I, I'm going to figure that part out. And he dedicated himself as a young man to personal holiness. And he said, I'm not going to develop an appetite for the things of Babylon. Oh, God help us tonight. How many young people this evening, how many of you are sitting here in this conference and half of you wants to do something for God, but the other half of you is feasting at the Babylon buffet, social media, and it has caught you. Here is God dealing with this man, and he says, I'm not going to do this. Let me tell you a little story. There in San Antonio, on the south side of San Antonio, the Baptists have a Spanish Bible college. This Bible college trains Latin American Baptist pastors, uh, uh, young people to become pastors. Uh, I remember when we were on the south side of San Antonio, we were nearby them, and we had a lot of interaction with them. And so you would regularly see these Spanish-speaking young men. Every one of them fit that description, gifted, good-looking. Uh, all these, they were incredibly gifted. They were PKs mainly, 
young men sent to America to be trained so they could usually go home and assume the church from their father. The trouble is that these young men, when they got to America, went crazy. And they had a reputation on the south side of San Antonio as perverts who were always trying to hook up. Most of these young men had a girl back home that they were going to marry upon completion. But while they were in America, they were going to play. Here's Daniel. Somehow he understands, I have a future. And I understand that Babylon is trying to take me away from that. It is appealing to me. It is creating an appetite in me. Because I'm not thinking about when I'm 30 or I'm 40. It's trying to capture me right now. I want to tell you something this evening. Whether you are raised in church or saved at a young age, you're going to have to make the same choice. And I think what I want to emphasize, and what I felt God dealing with me to emphasize in this sermon as I speak to young people, God didn't save you. And God didn't save your parents just so you could have a better life. I know we're so happy, you know, my mom and dad got saved, and, you know, and, and, and all that. And we somehow, it's like, and like the, so what, what is it for me? Is it, yeah, I'm just going to grow up in this church, you know, and have this security over me and, and good parents and, and all that. And so, so now when I come of age, you know, I can just do what I want. I don't think so. Put up the quote by uh, John Adams, if we could put that up. I, I love this quote. He said, I study war and diplomacy so that my children will be free to study commerce and the industry, and their children will be free to study art and literature. Now, I think John Adams said that, and he was not saying it tongue-in-cheek, but I am. He said, you can have moms and dads, even grandparents, who fought, who went to war, who laid down their lives, sacrificed. And as a result, you have grown up in a good home tonight. And you're sitting there trying to figure out if you're going to study art or literature. And you never think, wait a minute. Maybe God has something more for me. Maybe God saved me when the, at this age for a reason. Maybe God wanted to, to see what would happen with somebody that didn't blow their mind on marijuana. Who knows how far they could go? Maybe he, maybe he wanted to, to set people apart that didn't get burnt from the world. Uh, and all the advantages, uh, and somehow we think it's so I can just have a nice life, you know. And uh, the, the, the war was fought by my grandfather or my father. I'm telling you tonight. A devoted generation can change the world. Here we are tonight, 3,000 churches, almost. We stand here with a building with thousands of people, many more thousands watching online. You look at this and what God has done, and we're marveling at this. I marvel at it. But where did this come from? I'm speaking to young people tonight. Where do you think this came from? I'm going to tell you where it came from. It came from a generation, your parents, your grandparents, that devoted their entire lives to preaching the gospel. I stand here today, I'll be 60 years old next year. As I said, I got saved when I'm 16. In other words, I have spent my entire life 
trying to do the will of God in this fellowship. And I am one of hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds. As I sit here, stand here this morning, this evening, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, you know, Artie Aragon. I'm thinking about John Robinson. Thinking about Jeff Day and Tom Payne and Joe Zebel. I think about Alvin Smith. I think about my brothers. And I mean, and I, you know, we're just a handful of young men. We came in here back in the late 70s or early 80s. We got saved. Like everybody, we, 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 we had no idea, but we were captured. And hundreds upon hundreds of us, we gave our entire adult life to this. This was our priority. This was our decisions. Everything we, every move we made, everything we did, what we did with our money, how we chose to marry, all the things we, we gave our entire life up, hundreds upon hundreds of people laboring around the world. And here we are in this beautiful place, thousands upon thousands of people uh, watching and in attendance. Uh, that's what happens uh, when a generation gives their lives uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no regrets. I make no apologies, amen. I want to tell you, growing up, uh, you know, my parents were educated, you know, they, they, wherever they come from, they had, you know, and that this will give you all these options. I didn't need all these options. I needed one option, and that was to do the will of God uh, with all of my heart. Uh, and I want to tell you, God honored that. And so what I'm saying is, are we going to have another generation? That's, I mean, that really is the issue. The real issue this evening is, are we going to have, what about a 15-year-old, 18-year-old, 21-year-old? First time I came to conference here was 1980. I just graduated from Tucson High School. I was 17 years old, and I came to Bible. I was a 17-year-old sitting in this Bible conference, uh, amen, uh, and uh, I felt totally out of place. I felt intimidated. I had this sense that I don't belong, uh, but I didn't realize I was standing next to a bunch of other 17- and 8-year-olds who felt just like uh, I did, uh, but God got a hold of our heart. I'm talking to you tonight. What if you gave your whole life? What if every 25-year-old gave their whole life? You're coming here at this conference, and like, well, you know, I might do this, I might do that, and I'm going to marry her even though I know she's carnal, uh, or I'm going to marry him, you know, even though I've never seen him enter a prayer meeting, uh, and, uh, you know, and I'm just not sure what to do, and you're there picking out the colors for your dress. What if you were to say, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to, God, what is your will for my life? You know, these, these young men, these guys had everything, and God got a hold of them, changed all their plans. In a moment, we're going to China. We're leaving everything that we know. Can God do that to you tonight? This right here came at a high cost. It cost us our entire life. It doesn't happen any other way. I have to be honest with you, you know, and people say, well, did you see about that church down the road? They've only been open nine years and they're running 4,000 people. And I, it's, it's a, why are you guys so cynical about it? I'm totally cynical about it. 
Because I know what it takes to build something like this. And I want to tell you, it takes years and years and years and years of sacrifice uh, and not compromising and commitment. That's how you get things in life. I know that we live in the age of Robin Hood, and you think you can get rich in two weeks. Uh, I want to tell you tonight, uh, look around you. What God does, he does through people who dedicate through hard work and commitment. That's how you get what you get in life. I'm not bitter. I'm just telling you that there's a treasure here right now. And if we don't see it, the king of Babylon says, no problem, I'll take them. Let's close and talk about purpose. See, because God has a purpose for every life. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. It is possible tonight to settle some things about your future when you're young. They say to us, don't do that. I was 19 when we got married. I told my mother I was going to uh, get, we were getting married and then I wanted to get sent out and instead of going to college, I was going to go work for the colonel. And, uh, uh, you know, and she was like, you know, and God bless my mom. She's gone on and, and but mijito, you have, you know, dude, don't make any decisions, wait till you're, Listen, it's possible to make lifelong decisions when you're young. I'm pressing you tonight. Daniel made a decision as a teenager that the Holy Spirit chose to highlight and would carry him for the next 70 years. Verse 17 says that for these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. God got a hold of young men. God got a hold of young men. And even in their teenage years, there was already gift ministry operating through them. Will you show that side-by-side -side picture here very quickly? Here's another picture for you. You get a half-eaten donut if you recognize who these people are. That's not my Tucson High picture, by the way, from uh, 1980. <laughs> Guy on the left, the, here's the thing. These two young men were born two months apart from each other. Two months apart. The guy on the left is two months older than the guy on the right. Both these pictures were, they weren't taken back then. They were drawn. These two young men. The guy in the, the black and white picture of Jackie Custis. Jackie Custis when he was three years old, was the richest man in Virginia. The reason why is his father died and inheritance laws back then didn't go to the wife, they went to the son. His mother's name was Martha and she remarried a couple of years later to a guy named George Washington. And he was raised as George Washington as his uh, stepfather, the richest man in Virginia. And what happened though is that uh, uh, George Washington, a great military leader who put together the Continental Army and all of that. Uh, the only problem was it, it, this never happens anymore, but mom would never let him discipline her son. I know that never happens anymore where you, you, don't let the, you don't let the husband discipline your children, but she wouldn't do it. And so his kid grew up in indulgence. He had every, I mean, he's, he's the son of George Washington. He is living at the time of the revolution, but he's a playboy. He's a partier. He doesn't take anything serious. He's a horrible student. He's a rebel. 
As the war continues, he gets a little bit older, and uh, this young man uh, uh, begins to, some things begin to come up to him as he gets close to 20. He begins to realize that men don't respect him. Nobody looks up to him. He just plays games. He has all this inheritance. There's a war going on. He is, a, he is, a, 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 you know, he has every opportunity. He's George Washington's, but he's just messing around playing games as a revolution that's changing the world is happening, and he's messing around. But you get to be around 20 years old, and all of a sudden, you want respect from other men. You want, you start caring. What do men think of me? They see me as weak. So he starts to show up, and he's, because of the access, he starts to show up at battlefields, and he begins to kind of stay in the periphery of Washington. He's there at Yorktown, at the, at the decisive battle there at Yorktown. But the problem is he's young, he's unhealthy, and he ends up getting sick, and he dies by the age of 25. Having done nothing. Incredible possibility. Wealth. All he could have been, but he just didn't take it seriously. The guy on the other hand is a big rap star, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> you say, Alexander Hamilton's what? what? Yeah, that's, that's him right there. 13 years old, he gets on a boat leaves this little island of Nevis, goes to Boston, makes his way to New York, changes the world. 13-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy. They're born two months apart. This guy had everything. This guy was an orphan. He was an illegitimate child. You have to make a decision. The difference is not somehow it could have never happened for you. But at some point, you better make a decision about your life. Somewhere along the line, you have to make, this is my purpose. It's said that Garibaldi came into a small town when he was going to conquer Italy. And he came into a small town and he found a group of young boys. And he said, young men, Italy owes you an undertaking which has merited the applause of the universe. You have conquered and you will conquer still to arms and all of you, all of you. And the oppressors and the mighty shall disappear like dust. These young men left what they were doing and followed him for revolution. Young men are what usher in kingdoms. Young men are what change the world. Young men who respond to the will of God have tremendous power. I love this story. You may have used it before, but this happened in pre-revolution France, the best of times and the worst of times. There were rebellion and revolution fomenting in France at the time, and there was a group of boys. They were teenagers. They were between the ages of 12 and 17. And these boys, you know, were stirred against the horrible oppression of the aristocracy in France at the time, and they made themselves uniforms. 
and they would march through the streets of Paris. And they would drill uh, and they would protest against uh, horrible things that were happening from the king uh, and the aristocracy of France. Uh, and what they would do is they would go to the streets of Paris and they would stand there in front of the palace uh, and they would stand there in front of the, the rich and the wealthy uh, and they would unfurl a flag. And that flag said in Latin, Tremblex Tirans Nus Grandirons. Translated, Tremble Tyrants, we shall grow up. See, tonight, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be when you grow up? You know, I think about men like Othniel. I think about men like Phineas. Great men, great leaders. And what makes these men so remarkable is that these were men that had spiritual pedigree. Caleb's nephew. Eleazar's son. In other words, these were young men. There was an inheritance if they would take it. It was right there. It was right in there if you'll take it. That somehow you would understand that you could stand there right in front of Satan and every demon power and say, tremble. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to serve God. David Solano might be watching this service right now. David's a missionary in Belize. David did our teen rally two years ago. And David did something. When he did it, I think I even said, David, next chance I get to preach at a summer conference in Prescott, I'm going to take this from you. So, David, don't be bitter. But... Uh, <laughs> You know what he did, and what I'm going to do in a minute. David said, I want to take an offering. Here we're at a youth rally, and David said, I want to take an offering, which is kind of peculiar. But he said, I'm not asking for your money. He said, I am asking for every young man, every young woman here to come forward and offer their lives. An offering. All that God could do. Because you know what, folks? We're getting older. God bless every 60-year-old band. But I want to tell you, our concert scenes were designed for young people to reach young people. What about it? Will you take the inheritance tonight? Will you come and purpose in your heart? I'm going to just close with this. Friday um, before conference, I had to attend a uh, retirement uh, for one of our men. He was a naval, he was a chief petty officer in the Navy. He was a, a Navy medic attached to the Marines. And he had served 23 years, and he asked me to participate. I have done several of these, but I was so moved by this one. Uh, the Navy, with all of its traditions, boy, they know how to pull off a retirement. Very moving. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I want to tell you, from the moment it started, I was gripped by this. And at the very end, the man, Mike Valverde, Mike is a real testimony to our fellowship. He was saved under Tim Moynihan in, in uh, Oceanside, and 
over the years with his deployments, but I know he was in Fiji, he was in Jacksonville, Pastor Szymanski, and, uh, and that, he was finally sent to San Antonio where he finished out. And so here's this guy, 23 years. Mike joined in 1998 from El Paso. I suppose if you're from El Paso, you want to go find water. And so he joined the Navy, and he, uh, he said, you know, I did what a lot of people do. I joined the military just to run away. He got saved on his first deployment, and then 9-11 happened, and the world changed. And it wasn't but a few years later before Mike was attached to an expeditionary force, and he was right in the middle of the battle. And it was very unique in this particular tournament because so many of the, of the chief petty officers were, were Navy medics, there were Marines there, there were other uh, people there, and that, that kind of hung over that these men had been places. And at the very end, one of the things that Mike did is he reminded me of Jonathan. He began to remove things. He gave his dog tag to his oldest son. He gave his Bible to his oldest daughter. He's beginning to pass these things down. But one of the things chief petty officers have is they have these anchors on their collar. These are very, very special. And so he's going to take his anchors off for the last time. He's going to give them to his son. They got that last picture. If you could just look at, there it is. I want you to look at that picture. I wouldn't even mind if you showed it on the whole screen so you could catch it. But it, it, he, you can see Mike's getting emotional. Just taking off the anchors. But what really drew me to this picture is the background. Oh, don't lose that picture, please. I want you to, please. Hey, thank you. Much better, brother. I want you to see the guy in the background. Right? That's another chief petty officer, another Navy medic, another man of war. He's weeping. These men spent their entire life, granted they're in early four, but they gave their youth. Those guys joined when they were teenagers. They're now in their 40s. They have spent most of that time in battle, and, he's sitting, and, and they're moved. They have given their entire life, they have spent their life. And now they're taking off these anchors and they're handing it off to a young man. Listen, I got a lot of life, Pastor, Pastor Greg's got a lot of life. But in one sense, listen to me, young person. We're trying to give you something. Young pastor, we're trying to give you something. The question is, will you take it? Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed. We're before God tonight. God's dealing with people here. First of all, there are people here not saved. There are young people here. You're not.